Happy Halloween, Scarecasters. I hope you all are having a spooky day thus far. And I hope you all have fun and stay safe tonight. Whether you're trick-or-treating or taking your kids trick-or-treating, going to a party, or just staying home and binging your favorite scary movies, or hopefully catching up on the Scarecast. Whatever it is, I hope you all enjoy and stay safe wherever you are. Although this is the last day of October, the Scarecast will remain spooky all year round. So if you want your October fix in another month, feel free to tune in to the Scarecast. We will now kick it off with a few scary stories to creep you out tonight. This happened when I was in high school, a long time ago. My mom just recently found the paperwork about it when she cleaned out her office upon retiring from the police department. I remember being upset and scared when it happened, but reading the details as an adult sounded even worse than I remembered. I was 17 years old, a female, working at a flower and gift shop. It's nighttime and a man comes in Short, overweight, balding, 40s, creepy. Tells me about how he needs an apology gift for his girlfriend. So I offer a bouquet, obviously, because it's a flower shop. He says he doesn't like flowers because they die. This was the first weird thing as he came to a flower shop. Then he goes into detail about how he hit her and asks me if... I think he was right to do so. This was a long time ago, so I don't remember exactly what I said. But it was something along the lines of, not if you want her to continue being your girlfriend. Then tells me what a great job I'm doing. NASA's when I get off work. I dodge answering this, and he leaves. Nothing happened for about six months. Then right before Valentine's Day, he walks in the door one minute before close. It was dark, and from the outside, it looked like I was working alone as my coworker, who was a 40-year-old female, was in the bathroom. Instinctively, it felt like a predator had just entered the room. You know that feeling when something isn't right? Yeah, that's how it felt. I then noticed he had a tarnished revolver tucked into the front of his windbreaker, which is halfway unzipped. It was obvious that he wanted it seen. I quickly scribbled a note to my coworker that said, he has a gun, and handed it to her when she came out of the bathroom. She calmly walked to the phone and looked at me wordlessly, asking if she should call the cops. I shook my head no as I felt that it would escalate the situation to something even worse. God forbid he heard the police coming and took us hostage or something. I was going to just try and act as calm and normal as I could, and hopefully not tip the situation to something more dangerous. He spends about 15 minutes wandering around what was a fairly small shop. In retrospect, he was probably waiting to see if my coworker would leave, as it was now well past closing time. Finally, 
he places an order for pickup on Valentine's Day, which gives me his name and info that I was definitely going to report to the police. He buys a card and pulls out a wad of $100 bills, which he slowly thumbs through as though looking for the right one with which to pay his $40 order. I ask if he wants a bag, as it wouldn't be very inconspicuous if he just showed up at home with a Valentine's card. He replies, No, I didn't feel like being inconspicuous tonight, which seemed like an obvious reference to the gun hanging out of his coat. He leaves, and we quickly lock the door and watch him sit in his truck outside. We were not about to exit the shop until he was gone. Finally, he pulls out of the parking lot and moves to another spot further away and continues to just sit there. I don't know how long we waited, but he finally left. I called my mom crying and she called the police who came to the shop the next day to take a report. I told my best friend at the time what happened. She told her mother. Her mother happened to work with a man and informed security at her job. She said that he was very creepy, weird, and liked to talk about weapons a lot. The security at his job pulled him into the office and questioned him about it. And he claimed that it was a glove in his pocket, not a revolver. The police were pissed that his company made contact with him before they did, and he successfully dodged the cops' multiple calls and visits to his apartment. My mom, much to my teen fury at the time, made me quit my job, which was devastating as I loved it there. In retrospect, it was totally the right call. The dude came in on Valentine's Day, picked up his order, and I never saw him again. When I was seven years old, my mom and I lived in these apartments in a border town, and my mom's a single mother. Anyway, in our apartment complex, like most, had a playground in it. Luckily, our apartment was right on the bottom floor, right next to the playground. Like most children, I loved playing there. Every day I'd play there, and I honestly can't remember, but my mom either went inside the apartment to grab something or let me play alone. But while she was gone, a random lady approached me never seen this lady before but she told me she had a huge Barbie doll house and a lot of toy Barbies she told me she lived not too far away and asked if I wanted to go and play I remember saying I have to ask my mom first and that's when she said she knew my mom and that it's okay I didn't know any better and agreed to go she grabbed my hand and led me to her house. She did have a lot of Barbie toys, and I was playing, but she didn't have any other children around, so I'm not sure why she had all of these dolls. Apparently, I was
was gone for some time because it started to get dark. And that's when there were loud bangs at the door. Bang, 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 the door went. The lady opened the door, and there was my mom. She looked so frightened. She grabbed me, and we moved out of that apartment complex soon after that. And honestly, I don't remember what happened after that. This memory came back to me not too long ago, because my mom told me that that was the worst thing that has ever happened. But I don't remember feeling afraid. But honestly, who knows what that lady had planned for me. Since we live five minutes from the Mexican border, it is known for trafficking children, and I could have easily been taken to Mexico and never seen again. My mom did tell me that the reason she found me was because a bystander saw me and the lady walk off and then saw my mom frantically looking for me. If that bystander wasn't there, who knows what would have happened or if my mom would have ever found me. I have been working for an independent hotel for just over four years now. We're the number one rated hotel in our city and proud of it. I mostly work in housekeeping but have done some time at the front desk as well. I love my job and have always said that my bosses are great. Now, being a housekeeper, I've seen some things. I've seen a room where someone snuck in their dog, kitten, and a chicken and we don't allow pets. I once had a room that I was cleaning as a stayover that had tripods set up around the bed, professional camera equipment cases, an adult-sized pacifier on site, and XL-sized children's diapers. And the two people that was in that room were in their early 20s. I even had a room once that we had to call the cops on for a raid because we found meth. They found a lot of drugs and guns in that room. But today, today is the first time that I've actually felt scared to be in a guest's room. As I'm working on a room that's already been vacated, a man in the next room over catches me at my supply cart. He's set to be staying for several days, and he tells me, You can go ahead and clean my room now. I'm going down for breakfast. Excellent. I love getting my stayovers done early on. It makes things easier for the people working laundry because it means that we can get dirty laundry down to them sooner. So, I pop over to his room, opening it up and propping the door open with the stopper like we always do. The first thing that I notice is that he has 20 prescription bottles lined up on one of the two beds, along with insulin and needles. I'm nosy, I'll admit it, and I wanted to see what he was on. Oddly, it was only two different types of medication for all 20 bottles. About two-thirds were diabetes medication, and the rest were cholesterol medication. That's a little weird that he has so many bottles of the same meds, but whatever. I go to make the bed and see that some of the bedding had been stained. And I sigh, 
knowing now that I'll have to change all of the bedding instead of just turning down the sheets and the blanket. So I leave the room, closing it behind me to go get the linens I needed, and then I head right back to the room. I prop the door open again, and I head to set the clean linens on the desk chair. When I see out of the corner of my eye, two notes sitting on top of the TV. It wouldn't mean anything, except I caught the word kill scrawled on it. I dropped the linens and I took a closer look. What I read on the first note made my blood run cold. You don't have to forgive her. You can just kill her. You are here to take money and alcohol away from you. Get over having to kill her and you can safely leave. My heart was pounding. My eyes went to the second note. Would I just look to be a to-do list at first glance? But in the end, made my stomach churn. Spray and wash. Apply for Medicare. Insubordination. The soul is healed by being with children. Bank card follow-up. Inheritance. Savings. Cow pop 10,500. Matt Montana. There'll be a day of reckoning. Did you tell mom what I said? How did Bev get my address? It was too much. I quickly snapped pictures of them on my phone so I could show my boss why I would not clean his room. I left the room quickly, closing it up behind me. And as the door closes, I turn and I see the man just 10 feet away from me coming back to his room. My heart is in my throat, but I manage to smile and tell him, I need more supplies. I'll be back to your room in a bit. I take off straight for the elevator. Having noticed our maintenance man waiting for the slow transport, in a hushed tone, I tell him what I found, and he sees that I'm shaken. Not a normal state for me. He rides down with me, and I go straight to my boss and tell her that for the first time in all of these years, I am not comfortable being in a guest's room. I show her the pictures, and her face is still and pale. She goes to the front desk and asks our general manager for a minute of her time and brings her into the office to show her. She agreed that this was not a safe situation. She took our maintenance man with her, and they both went up to go tell the man that he had only one hour to get all of his shit and get the hell out of there and he was not welcome back. I spent a few minutes in the laundry room trying to calm down. Then my boss went back up with me to the floor until the man was officially out of the hotel. I don't know who Bev is and I don't know who the woman is that he felt that he didn't need to forgive but man in room 422 Let's never meet again. Before continuing with the rest of the episode, I have to ask, do you like mysteries? Do you want to crack cases from the comfort of your own home? Well, if you do, then it's time to let your inner Sherlock escape to the glamorous Roaring Twenties with June's Journey. 
this hidden object murder mystery game, you play as June Parker, an amateur detective investigating his sister's mysterious death. In the game, you can search for hidden objects and collect clues to help solve the mystery at hand. And I gotta say, I can't put this game down. You all know I love to talk about mysteries, and with this game, I can feel like I am solving them without even leaving the bed, which is a great stress reliever. So far, I've already made it to chapter 15, and since I know you all love when I bring up stories involving mysteries, I'm sure you all will love it too. The fun never ends with this game, especially since there is so much content out with new content added every week. Are you ready to awaken your inner detective along with over 30 other million fans? Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. I was hiking in the Olympic National Forest a few years ago by myself and my two dogs. We were four days in and around 20 miles at least as a crow flies from even a known mountain road. I was camping at around 7,000 feet that night, or right where the tree line started thinning out. So, when we got to the campsite, which was a big open meadow on the top of a secondary mountain, it was about an hour from sunset. My big dog usually runs around within proximity of the camp as I put the tent up and make dinner and such. But I noticed this time it was a little different. He kept staring up at this steep tree-filled mountainside, tail straight up and barking. Not the bark when he sees marmots. Not the excited, oh, you motherfuckers are lucky because I'd rip you all apart if my master wasn't here, high-pitched sort of barks. But unsure, concerned barks. Now, the day before, I had found a note left under a rock at the last landmark, which said that there was a problem with a bear in the area that was harassing a party of campers a few days ago, and I myself had seen big cat tracks the day before, so I was rightfully concerned that this may be more than just ground squirrels. I decided to go climb some of the boulders at the foot of the hill while I took my time looking up the hillside for movement before I went to go hang my bear bag up there. There were the only trees around to hang the bag. I didn't hear or see anything, but my dog kept quietly whining like there was something up there. So while still concerned, I start hiking up this steep hill to hang the bag. It was so steep that I had to use the trees to balance and lean against, so I didn't go tumbling down, before making another five to six step push to the next tree I could lean against. Anyway, I'm slowly making it up this hill, hopping from tree to tree to keep my balance, and I get about a uh, hundred feet up the hill, and I hear a whole lot of big movement about 50 feet in front of me. My dog immediately goes from a deep, low growl to a savage, slobber-flying-everywhere type of barking now. My heart starts pounding out of my chest and I start to panic. A million thoughts go racing through my head in the matter of seconds. Because if this is a bear, my dog is going to try to save me 
in which he will most likely die. And I'm stuck here, and if I had to get off that hill fast, I am almost 100% sure that I'm going to trip and fall off the 12 to 15 foot cliff onto the boulders below. Like hundreds of 5 to 20 feet boulders. So I'm feeling pretty screwed about now. Then I hear my other little dog start barking and freaking out at my campsite, which was just out of sight. I had zipped her in my tent so she didn't wander off while I was away. So yeah, I'm absolutely panicking at this point. A few seconds after, I kind of snap back to it. And I take another few seconds to start to put my survival priorities in order and call my dog back to me. Loki, by the way. He comes and sits against my feet as my back is against a tree. So I'm kind of pinned and stuck there for a moment. But my dog was seemingly trying to separate me from something up there. So I let him lean against me while I tried to collect myself. This is when I realized I completely forgot that I had my headlamp on. I reach up so fast to turn my lamp on that I basically punch myself in the face. I'm having some serious adrenaline dumps going right now, so much so that my knees are starting to shake. I get my lamp on and peer up the hillside. I figure I'll at least get a reflection of the eyes of whatever is up there. I peer, but there's nothing. But I had just heard something. We both did. And whatever it was, it didn't get away or sound like it had made it too far. I knew something was up there. So I'm kind of just steadfast at that point. And I need to know what is up there because I have to sleep here tonight. And you know, being out here in the middle of nowhere all alone, it's better to face it rather than be a sitting duck all night. Which was pretty much my thought process. So yeah, as I'm looking up this hill, at one point my dog lunches forward, unpinning me. He does a fake bluff charge up the hill about 15 feet, and I mean he's snarling, foaming at the mouth at this point. And as he does, I finally see movement. Something moving up and breaking the line of the horizon. My dog's bluff made whatever it was blow its cover. So I'm zeroed in. I call my dog back and silently watch, and what I make out made my heart completely drop. There was a man crouched about 75 feet directly in front of me, wearing not camo clothes, but some raggedy shit with a hood that blended into the environment perfectly. His face was exposed. I couldn't see his eyes, and his face was covered in dirt or something. I knew we were staring right at each other at that moment. So, I stare for what seems like minutes and there's no words exchanged. I felt like I was trying to subconsciously convey that I was going to stand my ground. I wanted him to know that I saw him, but I guess I was just too shaken to speak. As I'm staring, my little dog back at the campsite started to bark her head off again, like she was scared. And I also had to get off that hill before total dark, where I could be seriously hurt or risk dying trying to get back down. So carefully, I start heading down the hill with my dog, who doesn't want to leave, but listens. Periodically, I would stop with my back against a tree holding me up, 
and look in that direction again. Just to make it even more clear, I saw him. And eventually, I make it down to the boulders at the bottom. By the time I finally jumped down and hit the boulders, my little dog had stopped barking. I could only see the top of the tent from the bottom of the boulders. I thought she was just barking just to bark. Or just barking back at my dog. But when I got there, my little dog had somehow gotten out of the tent and was walking around the camp growling with her tail sticking straight out. Still trying to hold it all together, I thought, okay, maybe she just got her nose between the zippers and worked her way out. But I was positive that I had zipped it so that the zipper tab was at the very top of the tent door, which was very out of reach for that little dog. So, in a mixture of being terrified, pissed off, and the feeling of needing to do something, I reached into my day bag and pulled out a 40 caliber. I fired a single shot out into the air as the sun was setting. I climbed into my tent without eating and lay my gun next to me until the first light. As soon as the sun came back up, I was packing my shit and leaving and was going to head back down the mountain. It was all downhill back, but I still couldn't cover the ground to get back to my car in one day. It was dark by the time I made it to the last camp, about four miles from my vehicle. But thankfully, there were other people there. We sat around a fire they made and I felt pretty relieved and safe. They start to tell me that they're planning to head that way where I was the night before. So I tell them my story in detail. Needless to say, we were both walking back to our cars that next morning. Screw all that. The thing that still creeps me out to this day though, is when I got home and started reading reviews of the same hike I was on. Other people had had similar experiences like mine as well. Even a man found dead from a fall around the same boulder range two years ago. And a woman found murdered last year. Okay. So I've never particularly considered myself a believer of the paranormal, nor am I a complete skeptic. I mean, I turn all the lights on to go to the toilet if I've watched a scary movie, or if I've been reading some scary stories. So I must believe at least to an extent, right? Here's a bit of a backstory. My dad lives in the Scottish Highlands, and has done so for the last 20 plus years and I drive the 14-hour round trip to visit as much as possible, maybe two to three times a year. I've always loved this journey, especially if I'm by myself. There's always two to three hours of motorway or highway, followed by the back roads through the mountains, through forests and locks, where I can put my music on and pretty much just switch off. For the most part, there's little to no phone signal, so I generally download a couple of playlists before I go. I pop my phone in its holder and blindly follow the navigation until it loses signal. 
I've been doing this journey for years, so I really have no requirement for a navigation system, but I love to try to beat the ETA. It can also be quite handy when it does have signal to let me know if there's any accidents or diversions ahead. Anyhow, on this particular journey, I was coming back home. I'd set off at nightfall as there's far less traffic on the overnight journeys and less chance to get stuck behind holiday makers, especially caravans. Fucking hated caravans. I was traveling south in January and the weather was something else. My car showed an outside temperature of negative 12 Celsius, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and the snow barely stopped. It hadn't stopped since I arrived at my dad's house four days earlier. My wipers were on full speed, but still, the snow kept piling on my windscreen, meaning I had to drive around half my usual speed. Every now and then, there'd be a short break in the snowfall, and everything just looked magical. It was like driving through a Christmas card. Looking down into the valleys, everything covered in thick white basket and lit up with the dim glow of the overhead moon, making it possible to still make it out the river, weaving its way through the cracks in the deepest crevices, reflecting what little light there was. On these roads, there's nothing in terms of lighting, and what's worse, is that there can quite often be a large drop on either side of the road. Couple this with three to four feet of fresh snowfall and the inability to see any of the road, and you've got the potential of a lot of accidents. In order to combat this, there's eight-foot high sticks on the sides of the roads with reflective tape at the top, red on one side and white on the other. You drive between these and you should be okay. So, I was driving and driving. The snow just hadn't given up, and I was focusing on the red and white reflective tapes to keep on the road. Up ahead, I saw the dim taillights of another car, a welcome sight, as it was the first I'd seen in over an hour. Everyone else must have known it was a bad idea to be out here in this weather. So, instead of focusing on the reflective sticks, I was now focusing on the taillights of the car ahead. I couldn't quite work out what make or model it was. It was a lightish, white or gray SUV of some sort. Holiday makers. I thought this because I could make out their roof box and bike rack. They too must have ignored the warnings to not drive tonight. When I sped up to try and make some ground between us, it seemed to speed up too. If I slowed down, they slowed down too. It seemed like the space between us remained a constant. I decided that my headlights must have been annoying them in their rearview mirror, so I kept the distance as it was blindly following their lights while being mindful to try to keep my tires in the most shallow bits of snow on the road, avoiding the occasional snow mound. A bit of time lapsed, and I have no idea how much, as I had now switched off entirely, listening to my mix of 90s old school dance, the howl of the wind, and the splat of snow on my windscreen, and in between wiper swishes watching the red lights ahead of me, glowing in the dark like the eyes of a demonic beast, intent on keeping its distance. I noticed that the car ahead 
started to take a turn off the road. I felt a sudden sense of sadness and loneliness. I was losing my travel buddy. The only other sign of human life I'd had for the last few hours. I then realized that I had been so intent on following the car in front that I had no idea where I was, which isn't an issue. I essentially just had to stay on the same road for three hours until I reached a fork in the road, turn right, and then onto a main road and see a little roundabout. Bizarrely though, my navigation now displayed lost GPS signal and had me as a dot on a white background, convenient as everything was covered in snow. It never did this. It had usually downloaded enough of the route to at least keep the map on screen. It was then I got an overwhelming urge to follow the car ahead. I knew I shouldn't. I literally had no turnings I needed to make off the road. and I really didn't recognize the road they were taking. And the more I think of it, I've never noticed a turnoff that goes down the side of the mountain like this did. But maybe I just overlooked it before. I decided to follow it. Of course I did. If I ever think I shouldn't do something because it could end up in regret, I'd probably do it. Although as I neared the turning, I started to doubt myself and thought I should stay on the road, but no matter how much I wanted to keep my wheels going straight, my hands and body wouldn't allow it. I turned off. I didn't recognize this new road. I didn't recognize my old road when I was on that either, so it really made no difference. Everything was white. Everything was dark. Lots of trees and reflective sticks. If anything, it looked exactly the same, like I hadn't turned off at all. 10 to 15 minutes later, the car ahead started pulling away from me. Only slowly, but faster than I wanted to drive in these conditions. So I let it. It couldn't really get away anyway as there was nowhere to go from this road. So I figured I'd see it again shortly. Another 10 minutes or so passed of driving alone. And then, in the distance, I spotted lights again and this time, I was catching up quickly. The lights were flashing at the dark distance Amber, nothing, amber, nothing. Great. My travel buddy has their hazard lights on, and they stopped. I decided I'd had to pull over and see what was wrong. As I pulled over behind my buddy, a white Audi, possibly a Q3 or Q5, not really sure, I noticed the amount of snow on their car. Surely, far too much for them to just have stopped. There's no tire tracks for me to pull into but it was 100% the same car I had been following. I came to a stop just as a woman in a big blue coat ran to my window waving her arms. I'm not the most empathetic of people, but it didn't take much to read the relief on her face and see that she'd been crying. She'd had to pull over because she'd had a puncture and then explained that she'd been waiting there unable to call anyone as there's no signal and thought she'd had to wait until the morning before she could leave. She had her ignition on while she listened to music and tried to keep the DVD player running for her little one. 
pressing the heated seat button each time it turned itself off until it wouldn't come back on. Her battery had died. I honestly thought she was being a bit dramatic. It was literally only a few minutes since she'd pull away from me. She can't have been here long, but according to her, she'd been there for four and a half hours. That's how long she said she'd been there. Over four and a half hours, she sat in that car with her 18-month-old child and these freezing temperatures with no phone signal, food, or drink, or no way to heat the inside of the car up. So this wasn't the car that was in front of me for the last two hours. But it looked the exact same. Even down to the dark gray roof box and bike rack. Coincidence? A big one. But that's all I can logically think. I suddenly felt angry. Angry that the car in front of me hadn't stopped to help. Maybe they thought I would. That's a bit presumptuous of them. I asked her if she tried to flag the other car down. And there was a look of confusion or concern spread across her face. She told me that there hadn't been a single car go past while she'd been there. But I've been... I stopped myself from going any further. From explaining that I'd been following a car that didn't exist for over two hours. She was scared enough from being sat here in the dark for the last few hours. I jumped out and looked in her car, assisted by the light from my headlights. I saw our little one was fast asleep. I asked her if she wanted some coffee from my flask. She said yes. I knelt down in the snow. She'd already tried removing the nuts and had left the wrench on the floor next to the wheel. It was covered in a layer of snow freezing cold. I jacked up the car, removed her tire, and replaced it from the pitiful space saver from the boot. I lit a smoke and pulled my car next to hers, connected the batteries, and instructed her to start her car up. Once it came back to life, we stood and spoke. I asked her where she was going. Sterling, she replied. Brilliant. I'll fall behind you, again I thought. That's on my route. She thanked me for helping her, for talking to her and calming her down. She thanked me for the coffee and gave me a quick hug. Quick enough to be meaningful, short enough to not be overly awkward from a stranger. She got in her car and set off. I got in my car. I sat for a moment staring at the all-too-familiar taillights of the white grayish SUV with a roof box and a bike rack, lit up a smoke, and set off. I sped up. I caught her up. I slowed down, and she pulled away. Her speed remained a constant. I kept wondering how she hadn't seen the other car, the other car that was exactly the same as her car. I kept wondering how I now knew where we were. But yet, we did not turn off or turned on to any other roads. As we neared the civilization of the A-Roads, I started to become aware of the tracks left by my new travel buddy. The tracks in the snow left by their tires. The tracks in the snow that I'm 99% certain weren't there when I was following her 
or the other her before I stopped and offered her coffee. The snow eased as we entered a town called Kilmahog. We reached a junction and she turned right. I turned right. We were now driving in sleet wet snow that leaves a dirty gray and brown slush on the ground. Wet snow that makes seeing much harder than normal dry snow. As we approached the roundabout, she indicated left for the first turning. I indicated right for the last and pulled alongside her. She looked, waved goodbye, and left. Someone, or rather something, took me that way that night, diverted from my normal route, and made me feel as though I had no other option but to follow that car. They guided me to a stranded woman and her child, in freezing conditions, with no food, water, or heating. I'm still unsure how to explain it. I've not really thought about it too much. I don't like not being able to understand things or give them a logical explanation. It makes me feel uneasy. I certainly never thought too much about the paranormal. I've always presumed that if the paranormal was real, it would present itself to me if it needed to. If not, I'd live in blissful ignorance. But now I don't know. And to me, that's worse than knowing. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Please rate and review this podcast and share to your friends whom you think would like to listen to scary stories. As always, please join my Discord to discuss today's stories. And also, I would love to see you all post your Halloween costumes in the discussion. Follow me on Instagram at the Scarecast for real-time updates. And please post this episode to your story so that you can let others know what spooky podcast you love to listen to. As always, be safe out there for Halloween. And until next time.